Give me some lights here. <laughs> Turn to me. There we go. Woo. All right. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. So glad you are with us uh, tonight uh, to celebrate and to worship the coming of the King. And so that uh, is an exciting thing. And it's great to take a few minutes as well uh, just to be able to kind of during this next 24-hour period that's uh, always a little bit crazy. Even if we are staying a little closer to home this year, uh, it's always a little bit crazy. But it's always nice to be able to come and just worship a little bit and just hear the reading of the Christmas story and just remember what this whole season is really all about. Well, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, this season awaiting, right? Because Advent, we've said, is historically it's a time of waiting and preparing our hearts for the coming of the King. Waiting and preparing afresh as we celebrate uh, His coming the first time. But it's also a time where we look ahead and we remember and celebrate and, and are hopeful and prepare ourselves for the time that He returns and, uh, and comes back again. And so, uh, man, we, we've said this is a season of waiting in terms of Advent, but it's also a season of waiting as in the form of 2020, right? I mean, if 2020 has been nothing if not a season of waiting, right? We've been waiting to see if our kids are going to go to school. We've, we've been waiting to see if we'll be able to get together with family and friends once again. We've been waiting to see if a vaccine will be, uh, be able to be developed and then distributed in a way that will kind of curtail this thing, kind of keep this thing moving along. We've been waiting for all kinds of things to see, you know, will we have jobs when this whole thing is over? Will the economy be okay? Our, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. But, but all of this, so much this time of year, but so much especially this year, has required us to wait. And so we've been talking about that and, uh, and waiting as Christ followers and learning to wait on the Lord in those kinds of ways. And here's what I want to say tonight. Here's kind of where I want to go tonight is that waiting for Christ followers, for those of us that are waiting on the Lord and putting our hope and our trust in Him, waiting is only temporary because sooner or later the King will come. Somebody ought to say amen to that, right? Because sooner or later, the king will come. The king busts into our lives. The king answers prayer. The king changes our destiny. The king works in our hearts, heals even our hearts, our bodies sometimes. He brings redemption and salvation. He restores relationships. He does what no one else can do when the king comes Everything changes. The verse I kept thinking about uh, the last few weeks, and even as we put the series together, is Galatians 4. It says this. I want you to listen to this. I, I love kind of the heart behind this. Galatians 4, starting with verse 4, it says this. But when the fullness of time had come, right? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so we might receive adoption as sons and as daughters. And because you and I are children, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you and I are no longer slaves, but we are sons and daughters. And if we're sons and daughters, then we are heirs through God, the Bible says. Isn't that great? When the fullness of time had come. I, I love that and I hate it all at the same time, right? Because what it implies is that God's time and our time, are they the same thing? Pretty much no, right? I mean, that's, that's a guaranteed. In, in fact, if you were to ask the Israelites, had the fullness of time come, they'd been waiting for this promised king to come. This promised Messiah. They'd been waiting for how long? We talked about this last week. 400 years. It was in the video, too. You guys are cheaters, right? <laughs> but, but, right? But they've been waiting and waiting and waiting to the point where, like, I don't know. 
I mean, they, they had to feel like, I'm not sure God's going to come through. But hear this, God always comes through, right? When the fullness of time had come, he sent his son. He sent his son to bring freedom, to bring redemption, right? To bring, to, to, to bring us into his family, adoption as sons and daughters. In, at just the right time, God broke in. I read, uh, there's one of these things on Facebook I read this week. I thought, oh, that's good. I'm going to steal it. I don't remember who said it, but they said this. They said, when it's not God's time, you can't force it. But when it's God's time, you can't stop it. And isn't that true? I'm like, yes, amen, brother. Like, that's, that's, I have been on the forcing side of things, trying to make things happen, like trying to push a boulder up a hill. And you're like, this is never going to work. It's exhausting. And then there's times when the, when the Holy Spirit just gets behind stuff, you're like, Woo! Right? I mean, that, that boulder is gone, right? I mean, it, 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 when, when it's God's time, you can't stop what he's going to do. You just can't stop it. When the king comes, it changes everything. The world had been waiting for 400 years. And in that, in that season, God seemed silent. It's, everybody's like, what, what's going on? Where is he? No words were given to the prophets. No savior had come to set God's people free. They were, they were still under the ruthless oppression of the Roman Empire, right? I mean, this is, these were bad days and long seasons. People felt hopeless, like God had abandoned them. They had to be shaking their heads, just going, where is God? Why isn't he coming through? They were living as though they were slaves again. And let me just hit the pause button for a second and say, man, I have heard so many people talking about this year in similar sorts of ways. 2020. People feel like they've been left, like they've been abandoned. They're on their own. Loneliness is running rampant in our country right now. Many have found themselves enslaved once again to to addictions and to sins that they thought they had conquered. There's fear and hopelessness, loneliness, feeling isolated and alone, wondering where God is in the midst of all this. Well, that's exactly where the people of Israel find themselves. Some 2,000 years ago, it was dark, it was hopeless, but then, when the fullness of time had come, the king came and he changed everything. Listen, this is from Isaiah, it's one of the prophecies written about Jesus, but listen to some of the language that they use describing what, the, what would happen when the king busted into the world? What, what would happen when the king came and these came true? Isaiah 9, 2 through 7, right? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation. You have increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when they divide the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the heavy yoke on their shoulders, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll carry the weight, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You know, I've got to admit, it's easy for me to read uh, this passage and just to be 
awed at, at some of the promises, right, of, of what God says. Of, I mean, when the king comes, let me just, I'm going to do a quick uh, scatter plot here, right? But when the king comes, he's like, man, there's tons of benefits. There will be hope and direction and purpose. A light will shine and illumine the darkness, right? There will be increased joy. There will be forgiveness and freedom. The yoke across our shoulders will be shattered. There will be freedom. It talks about his presence with us as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace has come into our lives, right? We could spend the whole night just digging into some of those benefits, some of who, just a snapshot of who he is. But I want to just, uh, I want to take a slightly different tack if I can for tonight. I'm just going to shine a light on the one behind that. The, I want to I look at six words that really open the door to life and to freedom and to joy and to peace and to light and everything else that's described in this passage and so many others. There are six words that are sort of the foundation and the reason that we celebrate Christmas. Here's the six words. To us, a son is given. Right? To us, a son is Christmas is all about the giving of a son and not just any son, right? God, Christmas is God giving his one and only son for you. And for me. Because he loved us that much. I mean, think about that for a minute. God loved you enough to send his son into this world to be born in a cold and damp and drafty and filthy barn with animals. Right? He sent his son knowing full well that he would one day be wrongfully accused, would be betrayed, beaten, and killed for the sins that you deserve and for the sins that I deserve. Think about that. Think about God choosing to send his son and again i'll rewind and say and he's a loving father right imagine you as a parent if, you, if you've got kids imagine choosing to send your son or daughter into that kind of environment it's jaw-dropping he loves you that much and it's not just jesus going unwillingly begrudgingly jesus the king himself chose that out of love for you he chose that for you and for me Jesus, the king, came for you. Now, he didn't come as people expected. It wasn't at all what, uh, what people were thinking or hoping for. He didn't do exactly what they wanted him to do at exactly the right time, right? People in that day were expecting and hoping for a great military king. They wanted somebody that would be like Braveheart, right? Have you, have you seen the movie? Or Gladiator or something. They wanted somebody to come with the sword and, you know, like do, do the slashing and you know, basically take over Rome. They wanted blood spilt and all that kind of thing. And blood was spilt, but in a very different way, wasn't it? Jesus didn't come like that. He didn't come to be the conquering king, not the first time. <laughs> he didn't come to be the victorious king that's going to overthrow Rome in that sort of sense. He came as the servant king, Isaiah talks about, right? The, the suffering servant king. He came not to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. They expected, they wanted a warrior. But he came as a humble king, born in rags, in a stable. He was very different from what they expected, but he was exactly what they needed. He was exactly, he is exactly what we need as well. Maybe unexpected, but right on point. For a couple of minutes here, I'm just going to, uh, I'm just going to um, highlight three different things. I mean, this, 
about the coming of the king, about what he came to do, about who he came to be for us. And I'm just going to highlight him. I'm going to highlight three things. So that when the king came, like I've been saying, everything changed. But he came for very specific reasons. The first thing I'm just going to say is he came to save, right? We're just going to kind of walk through a few things. Listen to this. This is, this is right from the Christmas story that got read earlier. Luke 2 uh, says this, do not be afraid. The angels say, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. For today in the town of David, what's the next phrase say? A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Right there at the heart of the Christmas story is reminding us that this king came and he changed everything. But again, he didn't do it by being gladiator. He didn't do it as the conqueror. He came as a sacrificial king. He came to save, and that changed everything. He came not as a military savior, not as a political savior. He came to save individuals, to save you and to save me from our past, from our sins, from the hopelessness and despair that plagues our lives. Let me give you some imagery that sort of rocked my world uh, this week. And uh, to kind of do it, I need to set it up a little bit. So go back with me 2,000 years and think about being one of God's people in the in the nation of Israel, it was a very different day, right? Part of worship for them had to do with the sacrificial system, right? And, and, and the reason for that is that Israelites understood. They, it had been drilled into them. It was part of the law. It was part of their practice. It was part of how they worshiped. But they were very familiar with this whole idea of my sin requires the death penalty, Something the Bible teaches, we don't really like to talk about that much. But my sin requires the death penalty. And because they didn't want to pay the death penalty themselves, right? Which I don't think any of us do, right? But they didn't want to pay the death penalty themselves. So what they do is they would bring a perfect, spotless lamb. And they would bring it uh, into the temple. They would give it to the priest. A lot of times, uh, there's different, different things for different types of sacrifices. But a lot of times, they would put their hand on the head of the lamb, right? The head of a perfect lamb. And it, it's sort of an association by, it's, it's like saying, I'm, pass, I'm putting my sin on, in the, the sin of my home, on this lamb. And they would take it to the priest, and the priest would slaughter it. They would kill it for the sins of the people. That was worship. That was worship in that day. Isn't that, some of us are like, gross, right? I mean, this, is, this is not exactly a family-friendly service. But that was sort of the imagery uh, that, that happened there. Now, uh, now, you can imagine with all this sacrifice, and then on top of that, you, you kind of build on top of that, that um, at least twice a day, the priest would offer s sacrifices of lambs, you know, perfect lamb, unblemished lamb, like to the Lord for sin offerings for the people. And then once a year, they'd have Passover, and like thousands and thousands and thousands of perfect lambs would be slaughtered as they remember, right, the, the day that God passed over, right? They, they, took the perfect they took a perfect lamb and they slaughtered, they painted, this is going to sound gross, forgive me, but they, they took the blood and they painted it around the doorpost of their house, the people of Israel, and anybody who entered in there uh, would be saved, would be rescued from death in that day. And so they were celebrating it. But it, as you can imagine, all this is just to say, as you can imagine, it created kind of a supply-demand problem because all of a sudden they needed tons and tons and tons of these perfect lambs, of these uh, you know, spotless, unblemished lambs. And so a business started. In fact, uh, the, the distance, it was about five miles outside of Jerusalem, right outside a little town you probably never heard of called Bethlehem. 
there was, a, there was a huge field, and in it, they built a huge tower. It's called uh, Migdal Eder. It's sort of a, a watchtower where the shepherds, this is a picture uh, of, of, of where it is. It's a recreation, but it, you can see it. Uh, but uh, the, the shepherds would go up to the top, and they could look out over all these sheep and keep an eye on them and make sure predators and other things, wolves and whatever else, wouldn't come in and kill them. But here's what I learned this week, which is, which is interesting to me. At the base of this tower, there were actually some caves, and it's where they kept sheep that were pregnant at the time. And when a new lamb was born down there, they would carefully inspect it to make sure it was perfect, right? It was without stain, without blemish. And then if it was, they would take it and they would wrap it in strips of cloth, and they would place it in a stone manger with straw inside and these lambs would be cared for and kept safe and sold and used to provide sacrifices for the sins of the people. You see where this is going? Now think about this. An angel appears to some shepherds outside of Bethlehem, right? Outside of Bethlehem. And an angel says to them, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And he says, this will be a sign to you, shepherds. You'll find a baby, and he'll be wrapped in strips of cloth, and he'll be lying in a manger. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see what's getting communicated? Even with the proclamation of the angels, not only has, has God said, today a Savior has been born to you, but he's talking about the kind of Savior he's going to be. Don't you understand? This is a Savior. This is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Don't you understand? This is, this is the perfect Lamb that will once and for all Pay the price for the sins of all mankind, past, present, future. It's the Lamb of God. Isn't that crazy? It's a picture of salvation coming. It's, it's, it's like saying, this is why he's come. You might want a conquering king that's going to spill blood of others, but he came to spill his own blood as a sacrifice of atonement for your sins. It's an amazing picture, an amazing picture. God proclaiming through the angel what this king had come to do. He, would, he had come to pay the price for the sins, to bring people back to God, to bring those back into his family so that we could be together with him forever. The king came so that you and I could be saved from our sins, so that we could be forgiven and brought back home. And that changes everything. Amen? Second picture. Second thing that the, the king came to do, if you will, but he came to rule. And this is, I, I, I'm not going to take back anything I just said. He came as a servant king. He came to die for our sins so that you and I wouldn't have to. But listen to this. He's still the king, right? He came to bring a kingdom. He came to rule over hearts and lives in families and nations. Everyone uh, in the Old Testament days would have understood this. A anyone from the nation of Israel would have understood this, that the Messiah would come as a king. Listen, this is just one of the prophecies about him from Micah, chapter 5. Uh, in fact, if you go, if you read in chapter 4, it talks about the watchtower. It's literally referring to that place that we just uh, talked about. But anyway, uh, I'll, I'll keep going. My, Micah 5, uh, starting with verse 2, says this, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be, what's that say? Ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Hmm, who does that sound like? 
He will stand and he will shepherd his flock. He will lead his people in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, from then, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Love that. Isaiah 9 that we read earlier was also uh, in, in the video, but it says, it says this as well. It says it talks about this king that would come to reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The king was coming to reign, right? Jesus' primary message, in fact, is, is one about the coming of the kingdom of God. He taught about the kingdom of God more than anything else. Uh, while he was on earth, right? He taught about the kingdom of God to his followers, and he was basically saying, the doors to my kingdom are wide open to any that would come in uh, who would want to. Anyone could come into my kingdom and live in right relationship with God through faith in me, right? The, he taught about the kingdom of God. He's, he's basically saying, it is nothing like this world. It is, it, in, fact, in fact, pretty much anything that you see in this world, flip it on its head, and that's probably closer to the kingdom of God, right? But he said, it is not about position. It's not about coming and reigning and looking down on everybody else. It's coming and serving and whatever else. And he's like, he, he's, like I said, he came as the servant king, but he came still to reign over hearts and lives, to bring his kingdom. Uh, Like I said, this kingdom is drastically different, it's, but infinitely better than any kingdom of this world, than any country, than any culture. It is better still. It's the kingdom of God. And the king came to usher in a new era where you and I, ordinary people, can be forgiven uh, by the sacrifice of the Savior. And we can enter in and live in his kingdom for his purposes, with him and for him and with him in us forever. But the thing is, there's a kingdom problem that exists. And I think you probably know it, and I probably do too, <laughs> because I like to live <coughs> in my little kingdom. Right? I, like to th I, I like to imagine myself as my own little king. I like to have things my way and ordered in my own little sphere or dominion. I like everybody else to get on, on, on that page too and, and to serve me. But we have a kingdom problem. And I was thinking about it this week, and uh, my, my favorite example of this, anytime we talk about the kingdom, is uh, comes from a great theologian name is, wh whose name is Dr. Seuss. <laughs> and it's a, it's a book I read as a kid called Yertle the Turtle. Anybody ever read this or remember it? Yertle the Turtle. So a little pond turtle is, uh, I mean, this is kind of the background, right? A little pond of turtles is ruled, or so he thinks, by this one named Yertle the Turtle. And one day he decides that his kingdom is not nearly big enough. It needs to be grander still. So he says this. He says, I'm the king, he said, of all that I see, but I don't see enough. That's the trouble with me. <laughs> and so it came to pass there went out a decree from Yertle the turtle that all the turtles should be stacked up to kind of make a throne for him, to extend his power, his glory, his dominion. And so the king lifts his fingers, and all these turtles and everyone in the pond scrambles to obey. First dozens, then hundreds of turtles come and make this huge uh, throne for him that reaches and puts him way up in the sky. He had quite a vision uh, of, of his kingdom. It goes on and says this, I'm Yertle the turtle, O marvelous me, for I am the ruler of all that I see, he says. Yertle Augustus, right? And so he thought his throne was as secure as a throne could be, but in the end, turned out to be not so much. Listen to this. For the turtle on the bottom did a plain little thing 
he burped, and that burp shook the throne of the king. And today, that great yurtle, that marvelous he is the king of the mud. That's all he can see. <laughs> and I, I have to say this. That's where all of our kings and kingdoms will end up. Kings 2,000 years ago and kings today because uh, the first shall be last. The one who exalts himself will be humbled. Even if you are Yertle the Great, Yertle VIP, MVP, CEO, PhD, you're one little burp away from reality, aren't you? <laughs> and so am I. <laughs> we have this kingdom problem. I want to build my little kingdom. I think that, that, that uh, the burden is on my shoulders. I think it's all about me and my life and my work and my friends and my family. I want to build my kingdom, one that I can control. But every once, in a little, every once in a while, there's a little hiccup, there's a little burp. And I'm reminded that I am not nearly as in control as I thought I was. I'm reminded that it's not really about me or my kingdom. Because my kingdom will topple. The best kingdoms in the world will come to naught. There is only one king. And there is only one kingdom that lasts. That night when the wise men journeyed from so far and the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks, that night when the angel appeared, the angels were not singing in Jerusalem. They were not singing in Rome to Caesar Augustus. They were worshiping in Bethlehem. A, a baby servant king in a manger, in a, in a little stable. They were worshiping the one true king whose kingdom will last forever. You see, friends, God's in charge. He is the one true king. He has come to bring peace and life and joy and forgiveness, freedom to our souls. He's come to set us free from sin and death and junk. But make no mistake about it, he also came to rule over our lives. Not just to, not, not, not to keep us from having fun, but literally to actually put us on the path for the best life possible. The, the life that you and I were born for. The life we were meant for. He came as a servant king the first time, not to destroy or bring death or suffering, but to bring life to those who would receive him as king and choose to live in his kingdom. But like we said, he's coming back. And when he returns, he will come back as the victorious and triumphant king. And one day, every knee will bow. That's what the Bible says, right? One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, what's the word? Lord. That one day everyone will see and know that Jesus is king, right? One day we will all bow before him and recognize and know that, that his kingdom is the only one that matters. He came to rule. He says, you know, the doors of my kingdom are wide open. I sometimes will hear people, I'm going to take a quick tangent, I promise it won't be long, but I sometimes will hear people that will, that will say, you know, I, I have problems with the way Christianity is so exclusive. It's an exclusive religion. Of course, I understand what they mean, right? Jesus says, uh, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's, it's, but, 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 but our culture these days, our world a lot of times has a problem with that and says, it's so exclusive. And I, will, I, I almost always will say, it's exactly the opposite. Are you kidding me? Every other religion in the world has to, you have to earn your way. You have to work your way up to try and be good enough to earn, God, to earn God's favor and approval and life with him and all that. 
Christianity is exactly the opposite. Jesus says, my, the doors of my kingdom are wide open to anyone. I don't care how far from God you've been. I don't care how much stuff is screwed up from your past. I don't care if there's addiction and junk. and I don't care how, how filthy you are, how dark it seems in your life. He says, the doors of my kingdom are wide open. If you would just come to me, put your faith and trust in me, I will save you. And I will bring you into my kingdom. I'll bring you home, right? I mean, that's the good stuff right there. Oh, if we had more time, we could talk a lot more about that. But anyway, the king came to save. He came to reign and to bring his kingdom. The third thing, and I'll just hit this quickly, but he came, he came to be with us, right? This is uh, jaw-dropping kind of stuff. But Matthew, Matthew's gospel uh, is, is telling, it, it talks about this. Matthew 1, 22 through 23 says, all, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, again, I'll be brief, but man, can I just say 2020 has been the loneliest year for, I think, our country in my lifetime. We've been isolated. I have talked to person after person after person after person that's felt alone, that has felt abandoned, that's felt like no one cares. Can I just hit the pause button today? And I said, man, those are very real things. I am not in, in any way diminishing. It's been a hard year for a lot of people. But can we just step back and say, man, tonight we celebrate and we remember that the king has come and he has come as the Emmanuel, God stepped foot on our planet. God has broken into our lives. He's broken into human history. He broke it apart, right? Uh, it's the year 2020. What does that mean? 2020 years after what? Right? After the coming of the king, right? It, we, we've tried to rewrite that now, but it, it's in the year of our Lord, 2020 is what, what it, right? In the year of our Lord, 2020. That's the time since Christ came. He changed everything. He has busted into our lives. And he, I mean, he has made his presence known. Max Lucado uh, says this. I think it's a great quote. He says this. He says, there's many reasons that God saves you to bring glory to himself, to appease his justice, to demonstrate his sovereignty, his, his large and in charge nature. But one of the sweetest reasons God saved you is because he's fond of you. <laughs> I like that. He likes having you around. He thinks you're the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. <laughs> if he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Every morning, Whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. And he can live anywhere in the universe, but he chooses to live in you, in your heart, in your life. And the Christmas gift he sent you in Bethlehem, face it, friend. He's crazy about you. Now, I do have to say, I mean, this is obviously, this is not scripture, right? This is, this is a writer, but, it's, but it echoes what we see in Christmas, that God loved you so much that when the time was right, at just the, when the fullness of time had come, he came for you to be with you, to be in you, to, to save you, yes, to rule and to bring his kingdom and to invite you in, yes, but also to adopt you into his family, to bring you back into right relationship with God. He came to be with you, to live in you, to lead you, to guide you, right? Because he loves you, because he's crazy about you, because he's fond of you. You don't ever have to wonder where you stand with God. 
if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, in what he has done, in, in him as Savior, and him as King, then I'll tell you what, God sees you with Jesus' eyes, right? He sees you the, and loves you the same way he loves his son, just as if you never sinned. He's done everything he can to bring you back into his family. Just the Emmanuel, the God that is with us, the God that is in us. I mean, imagine, friends, coming back and, and, and checking out the manger and realizing that the creator of the universe sent his son, that Jesus himself chose to come down to be, I mean, to give up bladder control. I mean, can you imagine that? <laughs> the king choosing to go backwards and be born as a baby, to be born with the animals because he loves you that much. Because he wants to be with you. Because he wants you to be with him. That's how much God loves you. He came. He died. He rose again so that you and I can be brought back into his family. So that we can be with him forever. And he can be with us forever. We can actually literally have a relationship with the living God. You and I have full access to be able to, to, to crawl up uh, into the throne of grace and sit on his lap and call him Abba, call him Daddy, call him Papa or Father. That is the kind of relationship that he came to give you. Friends, when the king comes, it changed everything. He brought salvation. He brought forgiveness. He brought freedom from our sins. By literally coming and taking the death penalty for us. He came to open wide the doors of his kingdom, his family, to lead us and to lead you and I into the best life possible. He came to be with us, to live inside of us, and to bring us back into relationship with him now and forever. When the king comes, it changes everything. But he doesn't come as a tyrant. He doesn't force himself on anyone. It's your call. You can keep choosing to live life in your own kingdom. You can choose to keep making life all about you and say, I'm going to live my life with me as king, with me in the spotlight, with me front and center, with my wants and my needs and everything else. And you can do that for a while until a little burp comes along and open your, opens your eyes to reality. We cannot control nearly as much as we think. And at some point, we're going to have to come to the realization and say, I need saving, right? I need God in my life. I need the fullness, the forgiveness, the freedom, the life that only he can bring. And tonight, friends, I, I mean, it's Christmas, right? We, so uh, it's easy to get swept away by all the stuff. And if you've got kids, all the little magical, fanciful things and presents and Santa and who knows what, all this kind of stuff. But don't miss out on the core of this. The king has come for you, but he's come to be your savior. He's come to be your king, and he's come to be the Emmanuel, the God that is with you. Tonight, before we leave this place, I'm just, my prayer is really that you and I would just open up our hearts afresh, that we would turn our eyes Godward, that we would cry out and say, God, would you come and save me? There's some author that said the difference uh, uh, between a Christian and, and, and those that aren't has to do with possessive pronouns, right? He said it's, it's one thing to say Jesus is a king or Jesus is even the savior. He said it's a totally different thing to say Jesus is my savior and my king. He said, he said Satan can say the first, the true Christian alone can say the second. And so tonight, let every heart prepare him room 
Tonight, would you turn your eyes and prepare for the coming of the king? Tonight, would you turn towards him and say, Jesus, I need you as my savior and my king. Whether you've prayed that before or, that, or whether this is your first time, it makes no difference. Would you open up your heart and your eyes to him tonight and invite him in? Put your faith and your trust in him. Let's just close in, in, in prayer together. Let's pray. Father, that is the cry of our heart tonight. Lord, we want to thank you first and foremost for coming as the king, as coming to, to rule and to reign, to, that you came to save and to rescue us from our sin as the perfect sacrifice. And that you came to be Emmanuel, the God that is with us, Lord. If you're here tonight, I just would encourage you, if you're comfortable, just to open up your hands, open up your heart, just quietly just kind of pray these things with, with me. But Father, we just come tonight and we come, we've been around enough to see that our kingdoms fail, that we are not in control, that we cannot, <laughs> we cannot do it on our own. And so we come, Lord, and we just invite you in. We say, Jesus, we need you. We need the salvation that only you can bring. We need the hope and the life that only you can bring. Would you, would you pour out your spirit and your power on us? Would you rescue us from our sins? Would you lead us and guide us? Would you be our king and our God and our savior? And as, as well, would you be our friend? Would you bring us home? Draw us back into right relationship with you because of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, and the power and the authority of Jesus and, and what he's done for us. Lord, we come. We pray, have your way. We need you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we're gonna, we've got one final song that we're going to sing, so why don't you stand with us, and we're going to worship, and uh, we'll be done for the night.